You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. I'll be sharing some bite-sized brain science, thought-provoking questions, and mind-bending ideas about how our brains work, change, learn, and adapt, and how we can use the knowledge emerging from the field of neuroscience to open up new possibilities and make the progress we want in all areas of our lives. Hey there, another short and punchy one today here on the Ambition Incubator podcast. And this is aimed at anyone who's tried to get back to doing something after a break, only to beat themselves up when they didn't match up to their memory of their past performance. This follows on and away from last week's awesome guest topic with Claire McKinnon, which you can check out afterwards if you haven't already heard it. And we'll also talk about parenting career breaks and what they can mean to our self-worth and potential when we try to jump back into the world of work. So... We probably all know this feeling in a way. We maybe have a hobby or a practice or a routine and then something happens and life gets in the way of it. And before you know it, it's a few weeks or months or even years since you've had time to do it. So whether it's football or flute, going to the gym or speaking German, playing the cello or your career, there is a bridge to be crossed here and it can be scary. At this point, when you find yourself at this bridge, it can go a few ways. You can either let it slide permanently and suffer the consequences, or you can screw your courage to the sticking place, as Lady Macbeth put it, and get back in there. If you choose the latter route, it's not necessarily a straight road either. Let me explain. For a few of us, there's a seemingly bottomless pit of willpower, which we just use to get back on the horse. But more often than not, what I've seen happens goes more like this. One of our guys at Kenda will suffer an injury, for example, and they'll be unable to train. It could be something like a broken bone or a torn Achilles. Um, And on several occasions, this has taken people out of training for months at a time. Now, during this time, a couple of things happen. Their specific fitness for our kind of training drops. They maybe forget some stuff and other things start filling up the time that they used to dedicate to training, thinking about training and talking about training. So when they make it back, there's a double whammy. One, their fitness has fallen off, so it's hard. It's much harder than they remember. It's not like in The Matrix where Neo's residual self-image means that his hair and clothes are more or less like he remembers from his real life. Memories of what we used to be able to do don't always translate to the here and now. And number two, everyone else has made progress, while the person returning, by comparison, feels like they've gone backwards. This can be a real dent to the ego. And to be fair, I've seen too many occasions where a long-awaited return of one of our long-lost comrades lasts for a single session and then they just never come back. And it doesn't seem to matter how much you prepare them for this rough re-entry and how much they get coached to build themselves back up slowly and that it will take time. The majority don't make it back from what I've seen. Of course, as a group, we all had this in a slightly different way post lockdown. We'd been out of regular training for months and months. We had people going from regularly doing up to three two hour sessions a week to doing a 30 minute Zoom session each, each week. And it was not the same. But we knew collectively that it would be rough and inconsistent going back. And I think that's the thing, accepting that part of the re-entry process. I experienced something similar with cycling, actually. I really enjoy road cycling, which I like to describe as occasional options to hit 40 miles an hour on the open road and have it feel like it's 90. It's a cheap thrill. It's one of those activities where you see peaks and troughs every time you go out for a number of reasons training consistency being one, but also weather, seasonal temperature fluctuations, your bike misbehaving. There are lots of things that can affect your performance. 
At one stage, I'd been off the road for a few months, just one of those times when things got in the way. Now, you could say that's down to my prioritization. And yes, that's also true. I could have prioritized cycling, but that would not have made sense in the light of my other wider goals. I mean, I'm a recreational cyclist in my 40s and I do this for fun. There are times when other things are just more important to me or have a more finite deadline than my aspirations on the bike. But that doesn't mean that I'm not looking for improvement. And this is where post-break psychology can make or break the re-entry process. When I got back on the bike, I was nowhere near as fast as I had been. Well, in the grand scheme of things, the difference between an average of 15 and 16 miles an hour might not seem like a lot to the uninitiated. But increasing my average speed was a definite motivator for me. It still is. And now I'm more likely to be reaching for 19 and not 16. So there is progress. But I knew logically that time out would equal miles dropped from my average. And I wanted to get back to, and I use quotation marks here, my place as quickly as possible and start getting some personal bests or maybe a few cups on Strava again. And in that frame of mind, I was going out, pushing myself really hard and coming back, not having achieved what I wanted. I didn't like that much. There's not a lot of feel good in that. And repeated instances that we perceive as failure or an inability to achieve goals we set can actually start to become a belief about ourselves. I'm just no good at this. I'm too old for this. I'm not able to improve. So I changed my strategy a bit. I stopped watching my average speeds and just opted to clock up as many miles as I could. Because they say if you want to get better at cycling, you should cycle more. And the Irish cycling legend Sean Kelly is quoted as saying that it never gets easier. You just get faster. That, by the way, is a theme that I hear recurring across pretty much every field I look at. The more I find out as I look at what's known about the brain, the more I discover to explore. It doesn't get easier. It gets harder. But I've got a base to build on. The more I tackle my leathercraft or bookbinding, the more I discover I can refine it. Same goes for kendo. And successful business people will tell you that it doesn't become a walk in the park. There are always new and more challenges. But of course, you are practiced at taking them on and your track record of meeting them and succeeding prepares your brain to engage in the best way with the next one, increasing your likelihood of success. Parents will know that it gets easier and harder at the same time as your kids become more physically independent. But that brings its own struggles, as does the passing of time and when adolescence hits. And that kind of helps me segue into the little bed of thorns that is getting back into or completely restarting a career after a long parenting break. I call it the post-parenting pivot. Now, this is something faced by a sizable number of people, but statistically, they're mostly mothers. And when their kids get older and 24-7 momming isn't necessary anymore, um, they have a choice to make. And this isn't about the right and wrong of past choices. This is purely about the practicalities of situations that I've been discussing with people. Also, by the way, I'm not saying that there aren't or haven't been or won't be dads that have come up against this. But let's put it this way. The people I've been talking to have all been mothers. So you may not have experienced this and that's okay too, but you may well know somebody who has. And this isn't about whether being a full-time parent is right or wrong, or whether going back to work as soon as possible after you have kids is right or wrong. We all make the best choices we can based on the options that we see at the time. But from conversations I've had and work I've done, I know that it's a real struggle for many and not always easy to make that re-entry. So let me tell you a true story. Well, a few true stories. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a creative and talented individual who had worked hard and wholeheartedly for a decade since graduation, earning pretty much top dollar for those efforts. And then for a number of reasons, primarily childcare, that career was put on hold. 
a decade later again and that career didn't even exist anymore. There was no way to get back on the ladder at the same rung or even on the same ladder. Or how about this one? A smart and competent and dedicated training professional takes a break to raise kids. And when the time comes and they're on their feet, she finds that not only has the employer ceased to be, but the changes that she's experienced along the way mean that there's nothing about that work that would provide any kind of personal fulfillment or development for her. Or how about this one? An academic couple who are both super bright people with degrees coming out of their ears and they're on equal levels of pay and uh, status when they start, have a couple of kids. And by the time the kids are up and running, one of those academics is earning 50% less, even though neither of them has taken a, a formal career break. No points for guessing which one, by the way. It was the mama. <laughs> so what to do? Do we start again in the same field? Do we retrain as something else? Do we take less qualified work that doesn't offer the same pay or promotion opportunities? All of these things take us to that same bridge again. For some women, they just reach a point where their need to fulfill their potential pits them against the chasm between where they were previously and the opportunities to jump back in. Say you'd been one of those women above. How would you handle it? One of them was me, by the way. Even though I never officially had a career break or maternity leave for that matter, I stepped away from the career that I had carved out to support a family business while raising kids. And then when I got to the end of that, I realized that I may as well never have had a career of my own in many ways and that I'd spent a decade or so being more or less a gopher. So what were my choices? Compete with fresher, newer applicants willing to take posts at lower salaries who had a far better understanding of the way things were in that industry now? Take a lower salary and a junior post in an industry I no longer wanted to be in? Or do something completely different? So, yeah, I did something completely different. It was the hard and the easy route at the same time. So some of the things that helped and that I found helpful for clients when faced with one of these bridges is to really get a good grasp of what this means for you. Is your residual self-image where you are versus where you think you should be getting in the way? What about your values? What are they now? If I know anything, it's that being a parent takes a lot of the things that you thought were important and chucks them out the window like so many outgrown baby clothes. And this is one of the reasons that coming to this pivotal point can create such an opportunity. I don't know how you decided on your career path, but I came from a generation of Irish kids, many of whom were the first in their families ever to go on to third level education. So understanding how to pick such a momentous thing as your degree was widely misunderstood. There were a lot of incredibly bright kids who were choosing their degree subjects based on what their parents thought they should be. Now, that's more of a global phenomenon, to be fair. But still others were picking theirs based on, wait for it, how hard it was to get in. It's a points-based system. So for some reason, there was an idea that the more points you needed to have to get in, which was normally based on the capacity of the course and the numbers applying to it. So scarcity of places, really. But these high point entry requirements were taken as some kind of status symbol, leading to many ending up doing programs that were completely unsuited to their interests just because they were smart enough to get the points. But such is life. Maybe the residual self-image is something we need to think more consciously about and maybe let go of that so that we can perceive the new opportunities. One of my favourite quotes at the moment is from Lao Tzu. When I let go of who I am, I become who I might be. And this is where a glass half full type of person will work out that you can actually do whatever you want to do now. You may have to build your own bridge. And sure, it may not look like a conventional bridge, but it'll get you somewhere that you actually want to go. 
If you've come to or crossed one of these bridges, I would love to talk to you, by the way. I'm really curious about how people get to and navigate these decisions. Also, if it's a bridge you're planning to cross soon, maybe you should check out the Ambition Incubator Collective. I'll put a link in the notes. That's all for today. So have a good week and thank you for listening. And I'll catch you next time. Don't forget, there are boundless possibilities. So look me up if you want someone to help you explore them. It's what I do. Bye. Hey, before you go, I want to take a moment to say thanks for tuning into this episode of the Ambition Incubator podcast and just check to make sure you know that you can join me each week for a deep dive, dynamic, collaborative reading of some business classics. You'll find all the information you need when you register for free at ambitionincubator.com forward slash BBC. I'll see you there.